Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Debbie Kreisman, who is responsible for client engagement at Strive Consulting. I've known Debbie for a few years now, and she's impressed me with her knowledge of the recruiting industry. She's fearless, hardworking, multilingual, and has a great ability to connect with professionals at all levels. I've enjoyed hearing about her travels through Europe and look forward to today's conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. I know we were, we were chatting before about exactly how we met. And, um, you know, I think we've had some, some common connections, but um, we didn't get a chance to actually work together. I think I was at Equifax. You know, we had traded emails and talked on the phone a bit and um, tried to get some referrals here or there. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, as we got to, to know each other over the last, you know, six to 12 months talking about some other topics, I just thought your story was really interesting for some of the listeners. So thanks for joining I'm, I'm actually really excited to have this conversation. I think that um, I've looked back frequently about my journey and, and thought how, value, how valuable it was that somebody opened the door for me and kind of gave them a little intel into how they got where they are. It really helped me. So I hope our conversation today might help somebody else. That's awesome. Well, let's start, um, let's start uh, I guess, from the beginning. Not, not every nut, you know, nut and bolt, but, um, you know, where you're from, um, where you uh, grew up, um, maybe – you know, anything about your family you want to, you know, share, but uh, certainly school-wise, you know, maybe what you were interested in high school or what, where you went to college, and then tell me about that leading into your first job. Great. So, I guess uh, I'm from Central Florida. I spent a lot of time outside of Orlando in a very small town, had a lot of opportunity to do some different extracurricular activities. Uh, I studied music, I was in cheerleading, I was on the swim team, I played on the golf team, I did a lot of different things here and there, but music's actually what took me to my first year of university. Uh, Nobody in my family had really gone to college, or certainly no one had graduated from school, so we didn't really have that frame of reference on how to go about selecting a school or choosing a major or any of that, so it was a a big first-time experience for us. Um, Let's see, I graduated high school when I was 17. I I went to Jacksonville University my first year on a partial music scholarship. I played the French horn. Um, I was not what you would call a very attentive student, so I didn't have the best GPA. (laughs) Uh, I did manage to get a little bit of scholarship, though, but once I got there, I thought, oh, goodness, this is going to require a lot of practice, and I was just having so much fun. I actually didn't do really well my first year out of college. (laughs) <laughs> well, so let me, um, let me stop you there because um, my daughter actually mm-hmm. played French horn as well. And I remember her selection process because that's not an easy instrument to play. So you yeah. were in high school. Um, you probably started playing mm-hmm. in middle school like a lot of kids did. And, Correct. And then so what, what, what prompted you to say, you know what, I want to continue my music experience. <laughs> I'm really digging this in high school or I, I feel like I can do more things with it. Or, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, in, in our house, um, paying for my school, my parents doing that for me was not really an option. And so I was, I had a little bit of natural talent with the French horn. I also was really fortunate that it was a rather obscure instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of folks out there wanted to go to school for that. Uh, so I think maybe that's what gave me a little bit of leg up in getting some, some scholarship money. Um, again, I knew I wanted to go to a, a university or something like that, but at that time, I thought community college seemed, oh, like second class 
and even though I didn't come from much, <laughs> I was yeah. determined. You had standards, I get it. Yeah. There, but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, thinking back though, gosh, I wish I would have done those first two years in community college and gotten that under my belt and then maybe transferred to a really great school. But, but yeah, so I, I lived and learned on that deal. Like I got there and just really, um, it was a shocker for me that I was going to have to put so much work into it. Yeah, I I was in the band in high school, and I absolutely hated to practice. So I was not mm-hmm. very accomplished, and I certainly didn't have the work ethic <laughs> to do that. But I felt like my yep. sight reading was really extraordinary because every day was like mm-hmm. sight reading to me. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work that right. goes into it. Yeah, for sure. So you get to yeah. Jacksonville University. Um, you're studying music. Um, were you thinking about other things once you got there? Um, were there other things that, that you were exposed to in, in college that, um, that you thought maybe long-term it might be a better option, or what was your thinking? Well, to be honest, I've always been, or I always had been, a year younger than everybody. And so I was always trying to play catch-up. I was always thinking there was something more fun out there that I should be doing than being seated in a classroom. You know, a lot of teachers had told me I had some natural ability with regard to English and anything um, on the communication side. Actually considered changing my major to English. But again, I was just, I didn't have the foresight and I just certainly didn't have the family background to show me what, what does it look like to balance your school along with your fun time? Um, what would it look like potentially to have a job while you're going to school full time? Like I didn't have really an example of any of those things. So mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I sort of floundered quite a bit and ended up taking some time off. I left school. I worked. I you know, kind of bounced around. I moved to um, Tallahassee for a little bit, lived with a girlfriend, moved back to Orlando. You know, I was just sort of out there in the world and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think right around the age of 22, I started to say, okay, I I have to figure something out. And at that time, I decided I wanted to go back to school. Um, I was working, I think it was three jobs at the time, you know, one during the week and a couple on the weekends to make ends meet. I got my own apartment, went back to this time community college, um, studied really hard, was working toward my um, associate's degree. And my mom kind of stepped in and said, you know, what, what are you doing with your life? You know, as a lot of young folks, I imagine, do, they're thinking that they've got to have this one right option. And it was so overwhelming to me that I didn't just, I just couldn't make a choice. Mm-hmm. So I think that was when my mom stepped in and said, okay, she had always worked in the technology space, or at least since I was maybe my early teens. She had some connections at a local television affiliate in Portland, Oregon. She had made some business contacts and she said, I would like you to just fly out there and watch people work, just see what that looks like. Just, you know, maybe have a couple of meetings face-to-face, talk with some of the leaders, talk with some of the people that are working in the TV station on the sales side. She said, I really think your personality would fit with that. And I wasn't into it, to be honest. (laughs) You know, your mom's telling you, and I'd had so much fun for a few years, even though I was trying to move forward. I I wasn't sure where to go, but um, I flew out there and I met with some of these salespeople and I saw them. They were making over six figures, beautiful cars, going out to fabulous lunches. In my opinion, I thought doing things I could never accomplish. Mm -hmm. I met with a general sales manager there and he gave me a little bit of inside scoop on what the day-to-day looks like in that job. So that was it. Once I saw that 
those people in my mind, I, I thought, well, gosh, they're not any smarter than me. And, and some of them had come up from nothing as well. And I thought, mm -hmm. maybe I could do that. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to open the door just to crack and show you what's on the other side. Yeah. So you, um, was this, because you, you mentioned Jacksonville and you mentioned um, UCF. Mm -hmm. Was this in between yeah. UCF? So I didn't make it to UCF until many years later. I gotcha. um, went okay. to, uh-huh. So Jacksonville, Jacksonville University for a year. Uh, I seriously had like a 0.25 after a year's worth of time spent there. Yeah. Um, flounder, flounder, went to Valencia Community College in Winter Park, Florida. Mm -hmm. um, I did that for two years. And yep, I guess right around the time that I got my associate's degree, I left school again to then maybe go into the television space. That's when I had that experience. Gotcha. And, and okay. came back to Orlando. Okay. So yeah, definitely got some, um, some incentive and you got maybe a little more direction that, Hey, here's a, here's a space you think you can, you know, do well in it meets some of the criteria kind of fits in your wheelhouse a little bit. So what, what happens next? So, you know, sometimes when you're, a young person and you have so many options, all you need to do is decide what it is you might want. And you might not know fully and completely what that looks like, but you at least have some sort of direction that you're going to go in. So that was all, that's all it took for me. I saw what those people did. I thought I could maybe try that. So I started looking online and I found a job opportunity at a local television affiliate in Orlando. I flew to back to Orlando. Um, sat down in the interview room with two sales managers, and they knew that I had no experience of any kind. I had done, you know, I was a bartender, a server. I had worked in an apartment complex, leasing apartments. I'd done myriad jobs that required me to interact with folks. So I was comfortable talking with people, but they knew I didn't have any real professional experience in the sales space. So I sat there and I did this interview with them. I was a nervous wreck. I had, you know, I splurged on a polyester business suit from Sears probably. Yeah. And, um, you know, they walked me through the interview and I remember distinctly because they told me this later, uh, at the very end of the interview, I told them, I said, Hey, so thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. I, I'm really excited about this opportunity, but I know that I'm just getting started. So I'd love your advice. If you can tell me how I did, I'd love to know if maybe I could improve that because I saw that there's also an opportunity at the TV station next door. <laughs> and they looked at each other and they, they just kind of laughed and I didn't know why, you know, I was just, I was asking a very novice question and, and they, they called me and they offered me the job after that. And when I sat down later on a year later, I, I think I was at that station for three years, but a year in, they told me they said, do you know why you got the job? And I said, why? And they said, well, number one, you asked for it. And number two, you had the audacity to ask for advice on how you could get the job at the station next door. And <laughs> said, we like that kind of spunk. I mean, who does that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, it, it shows you that, you know, you, you can be assertive, even if you're, you know, somewhat naive or not sure how yeah. to play out, but you know, you're, you were trying mm -hmm. to help yourself and, you know, any way mm -hmm. possible. So, and you never know sometimes, you know, what sort of doors that will open up to. So don't, don't be afraid to mm -hmm. ask questions. Right. That's a good, that's a really good point. I mean, number one, every time you go in, in in an interview, you have to remember that it's a conversation. It's not just them peppering you with questions. 
it's also, it's also you being curious about the work environment there or the organization and how you could be successful and what's it going to take to be successful in the role. Like, it's really nerve-wracking to go into an interview, especially for the first time. But if you think about it, just that they're real people just like you, and if they inter if they want to interview you, then they probably want to hire you for the job. They'd love for you to be the right fit. So, you know, looking at it that way can make it a little less stressful. That's a really good point because um, I think you can forget about that, especially when you're younger. I know my first few interviews were absolute train wrecks and, you know, you're thinking <laughs> it's, it's not about, I'm not interviewing them, you know, I'll take anything that comes my way. So this is, you know, I got to have this and you come off you know, mm -hmm. desperate, you're not necessarily confident or you, you, um, you know, just agonize over every word or every answer that you say. And so, yeah, I think just having that perspective, it's a two way street, you know, you're interviewing for them, making sure that their culture and this opportunity and the management and leadership and all the other things makes sense to you because you have to really be comfortable there. Otherwise it's going to be a failed experience for both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, so, I think it can go the other way too. If you are someone who maybe you've done really, really well in school and you've had a couple of awesome internships and maybe you've even worked at a startup for a little while, I think it's still important to be humble when you go into that conversation, you know, that you can, you can certainly take it the whole other way and, and seem like you don't need the job. And, you know, that might not bode well for you either. Yes. And I've seen some of those candidates as well. And you're right. It is, um, it's, it's usually a reason not to hire somebody, even if on paper they look like a great fit. Mm. Yeah. All right. So you get the job. Um, you're there, you said, for three years. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about what you did while mm -hmm. you were there. Well, I cut my teeth on the old uh, cold calling um, circuit. Uh, I had, they handed me a stack. It was a, a, a list of over a hundred companies that I had access to that I was able to call on because in sales, they split you up by either territory or maybe a category of clients or they split you up in some fashion so that you're only eligible to call on or to reach out to certain companies to try to sell. So I had my little list and my job consisted of picking up the phone and I was calling people right off the bat that didn't expect my call, having to pitch the business and having to tell them about my company and try to get an appointment to meet with them face to face. You know, many, 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 many years later to now where I am, I realized that while cold calling is a value, the relationship is so much more important. So mm -hmm. going into it with the focus of trying to find some commonality with the other person um, maybe doing some research on the front end about the individual that you're going to reach out to and, and really just trying to make it a more human, humanistic experience rather than a robotic sort of script that you have to follow. That, that changed things for me a ton, but that's much later. But so, yeah, in the first couple of years, I was just going out and um, meeting with companies for the first time and doing a little PowerPoint presentation and, and trying to close business. So you were um, at a TV station. So were you selling like um, ad space, or what was the what was the mm -hmm. product you were selling? Yep, I was selling television ad space, and so I had to learn all about the statistics related to the product. You know how uh, advertising on television could help an organization, what types of advertisements they should buy. I actually helped them produce spots as well. I did voiceovers on a couple of them, even uh, some guest appearances and some local TV spots. It was super fun. Definitely different, um, and it could be any type of um, organization. It could be a law firm. It could be a car wash. It could be some sort of a local restaurant. 
there were lots of different uh, types of companies that would buy television advertising. Okay. And, and I know like you were talking before about cold calling versus building relationships. I know sometimes cold calling is easier from a metrics perspective. Here's a list of 2000. I called 50 today. I got two responses or whatever. And you can kind of, you know, run numbers and go, okay. So if you kind of correlate this out, we can, we figure by the end of the week, or end of the month, we can get X number of, you know, deals done that way. Right. But networking mm -hmm. can be a little bit more ambiguous, right? Yes, that's right. There's not really a science to it. it. It's more about being genuinely curious about other people, the work they do, the companies they serve. So if you try to do some research on the front end, maybe on LinkedIn, that's a great source for information about an individual. You can also see on LinkedIn who you might be mutually connected to that could potentially make an introduction for you. But even if you don't go that route, let's say you do have a requirement in your job because you just got started in sales that you have to make a certain number of dials per day. If you're required to make a hundred calls, the more information you have about those folks, the more likely it is that they're going to call you back or be responsive when they pick up the phone, the more prepared you are about having a conversation with them about their needs and not just about promoting your services or your goods mm -hmm. is certainly going to be different. Any way that you can think of to set yourself apart from any other number of people that might call that person a day would be certainly beneficial. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So, um, so after, uh, after three years, um, did you have some, some promotional advancements or, what was your thinking, um, you know, before you wound up moving to your next step? It is a awesome story. I had a couple of colleagues of mine who had left and gone to another local affiliate. There was a gentleman at that station who was retiring, and he had a massive list that was billing, I think, over $4 million a year. They were going to offer an opportunity to someone to come in and take over the vast majority of his list. Now, I was in my sales job. I had gotten to a significant spot where I was making decent money. I had not yet hit six figures at three years. It was just before three years. That was my goal. I wanted to hit six figures in three years. I had not yet achieved that, and I heard about this opportunity. So these two other gentlemen that went to that TV station, they coached me, they mentored me, and how I could potentially interview for this much, much more high-level position. I was super fortunate that I had that. To be honest, I look back and I say, wow, if I could ever do that for someone else, it made a night and day difference in my entire life thereafter. So they taught me about what, was, uh, the, what the conversation was going to be like, how should I approach my presentation of myself and the work that I had done. They also gave me some insight into compensation levels, and they told me what I should ask for flat out. And what they told me to ask for was almost three times as much as I was making in my current job. Yeah. So I went to that breakfast. Talk about sweating bullets. I was a <laughs> nervous wreck. Because you don't want to tell a fib. You don't want to lie in an interview. But you do need to position yourself in a way that is going to benefit you, but also get you into a position of opportunity. So I remember we had this breakfast at probably a Perkins. <laughs> and at the <laughs> end of the breakfast, it was time to talk about money because I, I think they... They, they were interested in my profile. They were interested in potentially having me come on board. And they asked me, okay, so what's it going to take from a compensation standpoint? And so I told them, well, I'm doing well at my current role. 
and I really like my existing job. I love the people that I work with. So in order for me to make a change, I think my number would need to be between X and Y. And that's all I said, and I stopped talking. And I waited and sweated, and they responded. They looked at each other. They looked at me, and they said, I think we can do that. I hit the floor. I could not believe it. I left out of that breakfast, called my mom immediately, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You are not going to believe what they said. And, and they did. <laughs> you know, they, they, they paid me that money. I could not believe it. And it was a wild ride. It was drinking from the fire hose when I got into the new job. Mm-hmm. I really had to live up to the expectations, which meant I had to work really, really hard. But I had a lot of fun. And again, I was making great money at that point. Yeah. It's so exciting. Well, and I think that's that's also a good example. One, it's great you have you had some mentors that gave you some insight because you know that's intelligence is always key to coming in and you know knowing how to navigate you know either an interview or a negotiation like that. But I think also you know we're all aware of the the, the pay gap between males and females in just about every industry, and I think there's a sense because I'm I've seen this with my wife is that you know you men and women, you know, I think they approach things a little bit differently where I think, um, and I don't want to speak for the entire male population, but sometimes we, we can embellish a little bit about our skills or it's a game and we're going to throw a number out there. Whereas I think women traditionally have come in with, okay, this is what the job pays. I'm just grateful to have the opportunity. And I'll just sort of take what it is. And, you know, to have something where it was three times you know, what you were thinking, I think without having that inside knowledge to say, you know what, this is something that you should feel comfortable asking for. I think a lot of women discount their value or they don't realize that there is a large band that if they really want you and you're going to be an asset to the organization, they'll be willing to pay you for it too. So that's a really good, it's a really good example I know for my daughters to understand as they go into their working career. Absolutely. Just try to have as many conversations as possible with people who might be in that type of job. And you don't necessarily have to come right out and ask that question right away. Mm-hmm. But if you find a couple of males or females who are doing the job that is similar to what you'd like to do, you can just ask. Based on my research on Glassdoor, for example, I can see that compensation levels seem to be between this and that. Mm-hmm. So do you think that is where the market is? And if you ask enough people, you're going to get enough information that will prepare you when you're going into the, to the interview. Obviously, when you're first starting out, that's probably not what you want to do. You, you want right. to just get an opportunity. You want to get in and get your feet wet mm-hmm. because once you get in the door, then you can learn as much as possible about the way things work. You can yep. make friends. You can start to collaborate with other individuals who might have a role more senior than yours, and they might be doing things you'd love to do. And so asking those folks to just maybe join you for a cup of coffee one day and say, hey, I'm really curious to hear your story. Would you be open to sharing a little bit about your background with me? And when you make those offers, you, you certainly set yourself apart from others your age because not many people will have the confidence to invite someone to coffee like that because they just wouldn't know how to do it. What do I say? How do I get the coffee appointment? What do I do once I'm in there? So. Mm-hmm. I would definitely encourage anyone who's out there thinking, how do I learn more? Make friends. That's how. you got to make some connections with people who are doing things that you might want to try. Yeah. Yeah, networking is just invaluable. It helps you at any stage of your career. And I think to your point, if you've got somebody that's new, you know, they're coming out of school or, you know, certainly even new to the organization, it's pretty rare that somebody would flatly turn you down, you know, for a cup of coffee or talk about, you know, um, how things work or sort of, you know, 
finding that mentor type of a relationship, even if it's short term. But I think most people are willing um, to help, you know, their coworkers out and what that might look like. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you get into this new role. Um, you're mm-hmm. you're uh, trying to make a name for yourself, doing, you know, really well. Um, tell me a little bit about what happens next. So let's remember that at that point, I did not go back to school. So I had gotten into this world where I thought it wasn't going to be required for me to have a degree. I saw people making all the money I thought I wanted to make ever. And so that seemed to me like the end all be all. Now I don't need my degree. I can just go ahead and stay on this path. I'm sure everything will be fine. Well, (laughs) sometimes life doesn't work like that. And after a few, few more years in that industry, I really started to feel tired by the sales process. I wasn't making relationships with people. I was just beating the pavement, following, trying to follow the numbers, do the numbers game, make my cold calls, sell my stuff. I didn't really feel a connection with people that I was selling to. I didn't know how to go about that, and so I started to get burned out. I guess that was maybe right around 2005, 2006. At that time now, I had bought a house. I had two cars. I was living the life. I had traveled to Europe, taken my mom on a trip. I mean, I was living the high life, spending all the money. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to work for a previous client right around 2007. I was doing a completely different job. I was selling concrete brick pavers, of all things. It was not suited to my style at all. I'm not, I don't have any flair for construction Um, I was not enjoying not going to a nice lunch with my clients. I was actually out 90-degree weather carrying brick pavers around to a job site. So it was not a match for me. I didn't feel great in my job. My compensation went down more than 60% year to year. To say I was in a crisis was like an understatement. And then, of course, we had the financial crisis, like early 2008. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. So I sold my car rented my house, sold my other car too, put my stuff in storage. Uh, My mom took my dog and cat and I moved to Italy. I just had one of those freak out moments and I said, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So I'm just going to go to Italy. So I was there for four months. I had um, nothing really going on. I traveled a, a little bit and just enjoyed doing nothing, really started to panic about that. And at the end of that summer, I had done a very small internship with a private company, helping them learn English in the office and also helping with some business processes that I noticed could be done more efficiently. So that got me thinking, I would love to live in Europe. How do I do that? Money ran out. I moved back to Orlando. I decided to go back to school. So at that time, I was really serious. I did all the research on how I could potentially work in Europe legally I went back to school full-time. I was, again, working in a restaurant, a bartender, I think I was at the time, going to school full-time. Now, this time, I'm serious. So now I'm on the dean's list. I'm getting straight A's in school. I'm making okay money at the bar, squirreling away as much money as possible. And I had done this couch surfing thing, which is basically like Airbnb for free in Europe. I decided to host some people at my house. I must have had 40 different mother and daughter combo, a single woman, two guys, a couple people from a basketball group. I mean, I had all different folks come through my home that summer, and that really just taught me, okay, I've got to do this European thing. 
Well, one of the folks that came through ended up being my future husband. We met, dated shortly, long distance. He went back to France, and then I moved to France. So while I was in France, I was still in school. Now I'm doing everything online. This is at UCF. Mm-hmm. I was working, teaching English uh, part-time and studying French and, you know, just doing my normal UCF schooling. I had transferred credits from Valencia. I thank God a lot of credits transferred. So I was then doing an interdisciplinary studies degree. I don't know. They manufactured that degree for someone like me, apparently, because I could use my business credits that I had initially started. Yeah. I was also doing a minor in psychology. I started studying, uh, teaching English to speakers of other languages, and I ended up getting um, the second portion of my degree in English. So while I was in France for three years, I finally got my degree in 2012. That was 16 years later. Wow. <laughs> so it took me 16 years to graduate from college, but I did it. Well, and I think let's pause there for just a second because I know that, you know, sometimes college coming right out of high school is not for everybody. And, you know, I think some people just want to experience what, what the real world has to offer versus, you know, just studying more academic stuff. I struggled my freshman year in college as well. And, you know, I don't know what I would have done if I dropped out, but I think it gave you a sense of kind of, here's what I like, here's what I don't like. You had some really big successes. You learned a lot, you know, with some of the jobs that you had, but then you also realized it wasn't, some of these weren't sustainable you know, to work for the next 20 or 30 years doing the same thing. You weren't growing professionally, so mm-hmm. time for a change. But I think it's, it's really uh, just a, a testament to you that, you know, you're, you're pretty fearless. You know, if there's something that's not working, you're going to change it. And you're not, you're not afraid to make a big leap because I can't imagine moving to Europe and trying to just figure out what's my, what's my next step going to be. You know, you're having to deal with language and culture and, you know, everything about it, your support systems, you know, pretty much back in the States. So that's, that's a pretty amazing jump for you, but it sounds like it, it definitely worked out. You know, you're now living in France. Uh, you finish your degree. So, so tell me what happens after that. Well, um, my husband at the time continued to get promoted the entire three years we lived there. I think I lived in four different towns. Uh, so every time he would get a promotion, he, they would deploy him to another work location. And so mm. we'd have to pick up a move. So after three schools of teaching English, I ended up landing a full-time permanent contract over there. That's a big deal, uh, where I was actually doing business development for a private high-tech university. And that, that school provided private um, education around game design, game development, augmented reality, virtual reality. It was really interesting. And I did not have a technology background, so I had to learn those things. And I was out there cold calling again, going into the community, talking to different enterprises about potentially doing a co-op program. The school would supply a student who would go to the job site at that enterprise a couple of days a week, and the company would benefit from having that, you know, highly educated student with the latest and greatest technologies under their belt performing services at their company. It was kind of a win-win. And I had to host these events. So I'd have 40 or 50 students come and they would listen about how they could be partnered with an enterprise. And I would at the same time have to go out in the field, meet with different companies that might be interested in having those students. Then I had to perform matching services where I would match the student with the type of company, which really at the end of the day is kind of like recruiting. So I stood up a cohort of students with this class 
And once again, my husband at the time, he ended up getting another opportunity. And so we moved back to the U.S. So I left that job. Once again, we decided to move to Atlanta. Um, but really, for me, that experience in France, standing up that cohort, working with people, really building relationships, both with the student and then the enterprise, understanding their business so deeply, was something that really struck me. I said, okay, I've got to do something that I can still make commissions because I love that. I like to have control over what I'm doing financially, but I want to do something that helps people. So when we moved back to the state, I ended up getting a job at a high-tech uh, staffing organization. They were a startup, and I was employee number two. It was a very, very small company, but that was a, a wonderful segue to continue using my knowledge around technology and to do that matching thing that I had done in France to help people find a good opportunity for them. It was super exciting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, employee number two, not many people get a chance to really do that and to see it built from the ground up. So tell me a little bit about that experience. What was that like? Okay, well, note to self, next time anyone joins a startup, at least inquire about insurance, because I did not. <laughs> I just assumed insurance came uh, with a job, but it did not. I was a W-2 employee, meaning I was working for that employer versus as an independent contractor or something like that. So I was employed by that company, but uh, they they paid me a salary. They did not pay benefits, so I had to get my own insurance, but I had to learn that lesson. So that was um, really eye-opening. I had to learn how to interview people. I had to learn how to really ask good questions to figure out whether or not someone was right for a particular job position. And at that time, we were doing a lot of direct hire, like full-time roles versus, say, like a contract opportunity. And if you're going to match people in that regard, you really have to know a lot about their background, who they are, what they're looking for, what's important to them, as well as about the company to know whether or not it's actually a good fit. So there was a huge learning curve for me, asking the right questions, getting down to making the decision as to whether or not someone was a good fit. Uh, I learned a ton. Uh, I was there for three and a half years, and then they moved me into the sales side, which meant instead of interviewing candidates to see if they're right for a job, I was then meeting with companies to see if they had job opportunities that they needed to fill. Okay. How'd you like that change from seeing some of the different aspects of the company to focusing on sales and growing it? It was really hard, to be honest. I, I kept leaning on the interview tactics that I learned in recruiting when I was meeting with clients. And so more often than not, I would meet with folks who then would tell me in confidence, hey, Debbie, I'm actually trying to leave this company. Can you help me find another job? Um, So I had, yeah, so a lot of that happened. But to be honest, again, if you focus on the networking side and I genuinely cared about those people, I really did want to help them. And while I was in recruiting, I had made some good relationships with people who had gone on to positions in leadership at other companies. So even though it would not benefit me from a recruiting standpoint, I wasn't making commission on introducing those people to some of the folks from my network. I just knew it was a good thing to do. And people remember those things. And so, you know, as another year passes, guess what? That person got a job and they left and they went to another company. And now they said, Debbie, you helped me. And I'd like you to come and help me at this company too. Can now you find me some people to fill my job opportunities? So that's how I started in in that. And after, I guess, maybe another six months or so, I ended up getting recruited out of that staffing company and got into consulting, which is a whole other animal, but, but still very much the same as far as a relationship standpoint. 
Yeah. Well, that never changes, right? Building those relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it makes an impression on people. You know, if you're, if you're willing to help somebody out and you mentioned like not even getting commission on it, this is just truly, you know, just, um, you know, out of some, some level of goodwill and, and paying it forward a little bit. I think that's, you know, that altruistic model, um, people remember that. And I think when you get to a point, cause I've seen this in my life as well, you know, people that help you out, they make it, that's, that makes an impression. And I think you want to turn around and help that person either with new business, new opportunities, new introductions, whatever the case is, that's, that's definitely powerful more so than probably what you would see with a, you know, a, a monthly or quarterly commission check. Oh, absolutely. And you know, if you think about it this way, uh, your commission might be the sense of goodwill that you feel. You might turn around and say, well, gosh, I felt good about doing that. It's almost, it's not charity, but it's, it's kindness. It's putting good things out into the world. And whether or not that's going to earn you additional dollars immediately, I'll tell you what, it, it really has come back around more times than I can even count that the people that I have helped when it made no difference to me are the ones that ended up remembering me and, and, and have helped me down the road as well. I, I can't say enough about that. If I was going to turn around to myself back when I was in my first sales job doing all that cold calling, I would have taken me out for coffee <laughs> and I would have sat my little self down and I would have said, now, get curious. Ask about these people. How can you help them other than selling them something? How can you learn something about them that when you go to meet with the next person, you might be able to introduce those two people and they can help each other? Think yeah. about that more than how you can help yourself. And it always comes back around because if nothing else, you just feel good about doing something for another person. Yeah, I mean, that's really great advice um, to do that. And I think when you got started, you know, I don't think there was that level of understanding that, that, um, that networking and building relationships. I mean, it was still, if you were in sales, you were, you know, you were cold calling, you were managing lists or, mm -hmm. you know, you're just prospecting and this was just a numbers game. And um, it was less uh, of an understanding that, you know what, not everyone that may tell you no today, they could be there again tomorrow. But if you're building that relationship and, and they remember you and they realize, you know, you've got, you're really caring about them rather than just, can I, can I make some money off you today? Um, yeah, definitely powerful. You see more of that today than you did say 20 or 30 years ago, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely valuable. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. So, um, so you're now at, at, uh, I think the current company you're at now. So tell me a little bit about, mm -hmm. uh, what you've done there, um, what you like most about your job. So I have really enjoyed now I'm operating at a much higher level. So now I'm talking with uh, C-suite executives, SVPs, VPs, high-level folks that at a very large organization, as, as large as, say, $110 billion on an annual revenue. I'm talking to people who are making strategic, strategic business decisions about the way that they're going about their day-to-day -day or how to, how to make their company more successful. So it's really the level of conversations that I get to have. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, I still am required to be genuinely curious about the other person. Now I'm helping them come up with processes and strategies that are going to do big things for a company. But guess what? At the end of the day, it really also makes that person successful. If they can help their company get to a, a new milestone or something, they're helping their team. They're helping their organization. They're helping themselves. They're helping their community. There's, it's a much bigger impact, but it's all still the same job. My job is still to go after 
folks who might have challenges or who might need help with something, get genuinely curious, get super knowledgeable about what they do, and find experts who can help them solve those problems. It's still the same as, I guess, probably what I was doing years and years ago. It's just a much higher level. And, yeah. you know, consulting is such a nebulous thing. It's very open-ended. What, what, what is that even, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and all it is is it's just high-level discussions around problems and then bringing in folks to specialize in a particular area that can provide a solution. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think, too, you know, you mentioned you minored in psychology, and along with all of the, the technology pieces you've learned over the years of experience, there's probably a level of humanity that, you know, you're able to, you know, leverage some of your education and maybe just personal interest to combine that, too, and really make sure that's a compelling, you know, opportunity or conversation or as you're going through, you know, um, a deal pitch or whatever the case is, you kind of understand the human side as well as just the, the objective, you know, parts of the business. I totally agree with that. And I do think when I was, you know, 17, if I had not done music, psychology was actually something really interesting to me. And maybe you just, because you're young and you want to figure things out and you figure if I study psychology, maybe I'll understand why I think the way I do about certain things or you can help, it'll help you figure things out. I wish I had pursued that because it really was something I was genuinely interested in. I wish I would have thought more about, you know, how can I get into something that I'm going to really excel at because I'm going to really care about it. If Mm -hmm. it's something I was really passionate about, you don't necessarily need to look at a degree as can I make money at this at the end? It's can I do really well at it? And, and what, you know, what I learned while I'm in a passion project might be something much different than what I expected, but you're going to put a lot into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, there's always that saying, right. You know, if you find something that you love, it doesn't seem like work either. So, you know, if, um, if you're in a a space that you're learning, you're growing, you're enjoying it, you know, it really doesn't seem like a grind. It just seems like I can't wait to get back at it the next day. Not everyone has those opportunities, but to me, that's, you know, more so than any sort of amount of money you make, I think if, cause you work for a long time comparatively to your, uh, to your lifespan, you know, if you can find something that you enjoy that you can grow and that you, um, you know, are naturally good at, to me, that's really, that's really a, a better pursuit than just a paycheck. Took me a while to learn that. Well said, well said, totally agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you don't have to do just one. You could do, you know, you could try a couple things. It doesn't have to just be that one perfect thing right out of the gate. Yes. Yep. That's true. So, and I mean, so you, uh, one of the questions I asked, you know, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? You should definitely address that. But are there other things that you think about that you've seen, um, you know, throughout your career that maybe um, would have helped you or reinforced what you were doing as a younger person? I think if I was looking at, I would probably start with looking at the type of company I wanted to work for versus the type of job I wanted to have at that company. If you look at an enterprise organization, say like the Home Depot or it could be any, you know, Macy's or it could be like any large corporation. If you look at the organization, you do research about the company, it looks like they treat their people well or they're doing innovative things that you might want to learn more about. See what you can do to get that first entry point into the organization and then just stay super curious. You know, you don't have to stay always in your lane if you do things the right way. You can reach out to folks who are in different areas of the business. You, if you're an employee, 
you probably have an employee email address. You can access your Outlook system, and you can find people who are leaders in different areas of the business. Those are people you could potentially network with. You mm -hmm. can ask them questions. You can, you know, maybe, again, invite them for a quick coffee or send them an email about a question about their job. See if you can get them to talk to you. The more people you talk to, the more information you have. So rather than just saying, well, I don't want to do that job. That's not really in alignment with what I want to do long term. That's cool. Just get in the door so that you have access to people who might be doing things you'd be interested in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because you do, you know, once you're sort of in as an employee, um, there's there's plenty of opportunity where people are willing to talk about your job or to uh, or their job or to find, you know, a way to navigate. Um, how was your, so startups, for me, I think, I almost think of it like a graduate degree working in a startup because you do see a lot of aspects of the business as well as you're pretty tied into what's going on in your industry, how you react to it. Um, what, what are some advice that you could give based on what your experience was at a startup? I think everybody should try it once. If not, if they don't absolutely love it, that's okay, but they should at least try a startup because when you work for a smaller company, you have insight into different areas of the way the business functions that you wouldn't have if you were at an enterprise organization because your job is much more focused in an enterprise company. In a startup, you have to necessarily wear multiple hats. You have to be open to doing things that would be outside of your normal day-to-day -day job that you were hired for because there's just not enough people to do all the things. So you might get a chance to support some of the payroll activities. You might get a chance to support some of the purchasing activities, even if it's just office supplies or renting out office space or uh, hiring. You could be called in to sit in on some of the interviews. You could be called in to discuss some of the growth opportunities for the company. Your voice is heard. Your ideas are more likely to be implemented at a smaller company because there are less people at the decision-making table. When you have less red tape, you have more access to leaders, you have more chances to learn because you can ask them questions directly. And, you know, there is more risk associated with a startup because they may not necessarily have uh, perfect financial funding, but no matter what, you're going to get in there, you're going to see how things work and how quickly they work. And things change very quickly at a startup. So you learn to be flexible and it's just a, it's a really neat experience. Like you said, it's very entrepreneurial because you're getting a chance to see what it looks like to start a business from the ground up. That certainly provides you a lot of intel in case you ever wanted to start your own company. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I don't know how, how you were. I know when I came out of college, I started with a really large organization it was Delta and I kind of felt like big companies were sort of, you know, my jam. I didn't really have any sort of entrepreneurial. I don't, I can't work for anybody else. I need to chart my own path and, you know, 10, 15 years down the road experience, you know, different leadership, different culture, and I, I softened up a little bit to the idea of a smaller company and what that might look like and just that visibility that you talked about. So I felt like it was, um, I still don't feel like I'm ready to start my own company, but I'm doing some consulting on the side, which is kind of a thing. Um, but I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't expect to get as much out of it as I did. So what you, how you described it is very well put. Well, you think about Delta and you think, ooh, that's got pizzazz, right? There's, it it mm -hmm. feels pretty cool. You're pretty accomplished if you make it into a big company like that. That's the same way I thought about university. I thought, ooh, I don't want to go to a community college. But guess what? If I had chosen that, I would have had smaller class sizes, access directly to the teacher, 
more mm-hmm. likely I would have had success in, in my education because I would have had more hands-on um, time with the teacher and just it's more human, it's more and collaborative, engaging, that sort of thing. Same thing if you're talking about a startup versus an enterprise. Hey, and I will tell you just from a recruiter's standpoint, as someone who has had experience working in a startup and then goes to an enterprise is very, very attractive because it means that you're the type of individual who can function in an autonomous where you have to work on your own, you have to motivate yourself, you can, you can do that, as well as working th- in a place where things change quickly. That's very attractive. Now, if you do all enterprise, depending on your experience, that could also be attractive, but trying to go from an enterprise where things might have been more focused, your job is very set, you don't get a chance to do a lot of different things, and then going to a startup is generally seen as a bigger challenge and less attractive. So just keep that in mind. That's a good I would point. Tell myself. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, because I never really thought about that, but you're right. I mean, if you can if you can build that basis in, in in the startup, and then you go to an enterprise, you are already you know driven. You you know what areas of the company and how they interact. Whereas if you're starting out big, you may only see if I'm an accountant, I'm only in finance. I have no idea what's going on in IT or in sales or marketing or even the operations side out in the field. You know, there's really not as much visibility to that. So. Definitely a good point. So let me ask you this. Um, spending some time abroad, because uh, this is another thing that I never really experienced. I didn't study abroad in, co- in college. When I graduated, I was one of those Americans that I just need my cheeseburgers and my ESPN. And I could never mm-hmm. live outside the U.S., right? Um, I get a job for the Olympics, and I start traveling overseas, and I realize I missed out on a lot. And uh, it really helped me to sort of not only do better um, at what I'm doing, but also appreciate the things, the opportunities I have here, and understand a little bit more about other cultures and other people. And, you know, doing an international business, um, there is there's a protocol to certain things, but underneath some of the labels that we all hear about, we're still humans and we still have different, I mean, you know, similar motivations and, and other things. So how was your experience um, spending some time in Europe, you know, kind of immersing yourself in that culture? How did that affect you or help you once you move back to the States? So I think there's a much stronger focus in Europe on family and long-term relationships with friends and contacts. And they take time throughout the day to have lunch and sit and not be in front of their computer. You know, between 12 and 2, you would think, great, I get a two-hour lunch. Uh, I'm going to go do a bunch of errands. I got stuff to do. I got to pick up my dry cleaning. No, no, everything is closed. (laughs) You can maybe pick up a sandwich. But really, it's just about taking a minute to sit outside and stop thinking for a period of time. And that was something I really learned. I don't know that I follow that as much anymore, but I wish I did. I just saw how much value there is in coming back to your workday after you've had a minute to kind of reflect on nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the, um, the concept of, you know, less di- disposability. We're not just you know, throwing something away and getting a new one. We're trying to see how can we make this work? How can we fix it? How can we repair a process? Or how how can we, you know, use what we have currently versus just scrapping everything and going after something new? Um, I will say that I didn't really travel until I was 25. And in case anybody doesn't know, you get a really good discount as a student in Europe at many, many different things, whether it's 
train tickets or even movies or sometimes restaurants, you'll get a student discount up until I think it's the age of 26. So if I had a chance to do that again, I probably would have gone abroad um, either via a study program or even just maybe a couple of weeks one summer um, before I graduated college just to see how all that works. Um, I think that you just get a sense for the beauty of simplicity and everything slows down and it's more about the quality of the food you're eating and everything is delicious, but it's really fresh and the speed at which people move, is just, it's different. I think it just changes your perspective. It makes you more open-minded when you come back. You recognize that while you might have an amazing culture and a wonderful country that you'd never want to leave, there are things that are different and yours may not be always the best way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Cause you, I, I know that there were, you know, as an American going over to Europe, there was, you know, everything's closed on Sundays. And so whatever grocery shopping you needed to get done had to happen on Saturday, but you're right. People weren't squeezing in their errands during their, their lunchtime. And I know like in the summertime in Switzerland, I mean, when it's nice out and sunny, man, everyone is out because they, they want to experience that. You know, the winters are pretty, mm-hmm. pretty cold. And so when it warms up, you just, you drop what you're doing and you embrace it. The speed is a little bit different, um, and, but it's, people aren't judged by it. I think it's, they realize the importance of that. And, and it's your point about family time. You know, that's something that I think is becoming a less of a focus, you know, for some here in the States. So that's, that is interesting that you found that and you saw that observation. Yeah. It was a really, really valuable experience. And you were in um, some areas around Lyon, right? I know my, my daughter studied abroad there, and she said the food was absolutely amazing. Any favorite dishes from that area? <laughs> oh, they have what's called bouchon there, and that's just a, the town is known for excellent restaurants. And a bouchon is just a restaurant that really specializes in high-quality uh, dishes and food and really well-known for that type of status. Mm. Um, I think you really can't go wrong. Honestly, one of my favorite things to do in Lyon is walk down the river side and grab something from the fresh market. They have fresh berries and cheese and bread and you can get salami or some other little snacks and go sit on the side of the river and watch the boats go by and have a, a little tear off some bread and some have some fresh butter and maybe grab a glass of wine or some refreshing soda and and just enjoy sitting outside and having some peaceful French moments. I love yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. It sounds pretty amazing to me. We had mm-hmm. a, we had an exchange student that was here one summer for about a month. She was from France. And, uh, we, you know, when she finished up here, I said, so what do you miss the most about, you know, home other than the obvious family or whatever? She said the bread. <laughs> she said, there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing like having the bread there versus whatever we had here. So you got to live in the moment too with that bread. You can't have it the next day. That same loaf is going to be hard as a rock. So you, <laughs> you really have to appreciate the present. <laughs> Embrace the moment. I like that. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, that's, um, well, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experiences. This has been great. I mean, I, I think there's some really valuable lessons that you've been able to give the audience just about, you know, some of the things that you've gone through challenges, your own personal journey, um, and then kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and doing something new and trying something different, experimenting and, you know, taking those lessons and applying them to, you know, where you are today. So I, I really do appreciate the time, Debbie. 
No, thank you so much. I hope there were a couple of little nuggets in there for somebody, and I would encourage anyone who has a question, if they'd like to, they're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'll put that link in the in the podcast so people can reach you easily. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.